This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is a hundred percent Australian owned and local. Phone one three one eight zero six. Welcome to Tuesday with Ash Pollard. Thanks to Red Energy, one hundred percent Australian electricity and gas. That's Red Energy. In this series, I'll be chewing the fat with my famous friends and a few foodies so we can learn more about them as human beings through their love of food. And this week on the show, my guest is ARIA Award winner, Triple Threat, and the most handsome member of the Australian band, Shepherd Mr George Shepherd. Here he is with their five-time platinum single to jog your memory, Geronimo. Goodly Poodle. <laughs> How did we come up uh, with that nickname for each other? I have no recollection whatsoever of where that came from. It's definitely your word. <laughs> <laughs> That's an Ash Pollard nickname, if ever I heard one. I was trying to, I was really racking my brain as to why it is that we call each other Scood. And I think it was because you were so squishy and like Scoodly, Scoodly-licious. Back in acting school oh, days. Scootily-licious. Okay, good. And you've got those little <laughs> those hands like I do that are sort of squishy and square-shaped. <laughs> yeah, i got like gecko hands. Gecko, yes. People say that my hands look like bear paws. Us square-fingered people. Yeah, us square-fingered people. A lot of people don't know uh, that are listening to this podcast that you and I have known each other for quite some time. You haven't got on here just because you're a famous ARIA award-winning musician. You are also a mate of mine from way back. We went to the Actors Centre together in Sydney. Frankly, I've got a bit of a bone to pick with you as an outsider looking in. I felt like you didn't do a great deal of work at the Actors Centre, yet for some reason you succeeded <laughs> all the time. How did you get away with bludging in the toilets? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's acting school, right? So <laughs> just acting the fool, just doing whatever. It might not have looked like it, but behind the scenes I was doing some sort of work. You know, Lockie and I would be doing characters every night and like doing improvisation scenes and all that stuff like just practicing it and doing work on our own time Mm. like does that include (laughs) playstation that you guys played a lot of yeah mario kart that was a big uh a big part of our education i still hold the title for that as well by the way (laughs) little little toad he's got the he's got the gold statue oh little toad he was your he was your character of choice was he he was my go-to yeah toad or yoshi yeah, mine was always. But yes, yes, uh, I, Luigi. I, I can see what you're getting at, Ash. There was a lot of time wasted mm. uh, in in our in our early twenties. Yes, but isn't it funny the successes that you've seen uh, post acting school? And and I bring that up because I was actually kicked out of acting school, and your father, who is a lawyer, had to write a letter uh, of recommendation for me to get back into acting school. And they took That's me. Right. They took me back into acting school, thankfully. So I've got you. That's right, because you were the year above me. Yes. And then you got kicked out and then dropped down a level. Instead of instead of kicking you out completely, they go, All right, Ash, you get one more chance. Because you you were screwing around as well a lot of the time, I'm I'm pretty sure. Uh I wasn't screwing around. I was I was a natural born talent, thanks very much. It's just that <laughs> maybe I had a little bit more attitude than you did. 
and uh, the teachers yeah. didn't really appreciate that. But your dad saved me, and that's how you and I met because I was taken down a level into your year. I'd always wonder how you get away with spending, you know, a good 30 minutes in the toilet cubicle whilst we were supposed to be doing yoga. Oh, I was doing a different kind of yoga, but yeah. <laughs> you made it. But what I also <laughs> wanted to highlight was that when you say that you were putting in a lot of hours outside of school to do work with the boys that you lived with, I'd go over sometimes and cook you blokes spaghetti bolognese or do your washing or make your bed. Do you remember any of that? Of course. I remember there was like a creamy um, creamy chicken pasta that you'd made with, with Jenna. It was like the gates of heaven had opened up for us because we, we were like three bachelors living together. We were like cooking two-minute noodles and Lockie's specialty was like chopped potato. <laughs> it was. It was. It was like sriracha sauce and yeah. then just chopped potatoes in, in the oven. And that was like, whoa, gourmet. <laughs> and then Ash comes around. Ash and Jenna Pollard come around. Oh, yeah, Jenna. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sure in terms of what you can do now, it was pretty basic. But it was, it was like a cut above like world-class restaurant quality to us at oh, the time. Thank you. That's so lovely because it was really just like a subpar spag bowl whipped together. It was probably Dolmio or something <laughs> like that. I was thinking about this last night. You always liked to cook. At what point did you go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this into my springboard. I'm going to audition for uh, My Kitchen Rule. I don't know. That That's a really funny one because I, I get asked this question a lot. I did not think I could cook. But the bloke that I was dating at the time said, you're effing crazy like those contestants on MKR and you can pretty much cook. So that seems like a really <laughs> great platform for you to maybe start something a little different because I didn't know where I wanted to head in life, whether it was still performing or whether it was going back to uni and studying again, which I did anyway. I, I ended up auditioning, but I submitted my application in about 10 minutes after the due date and time. And we were called the very next day and asked to go through it, through the auditions and, and the rest is history. And I thought I should really try and leverage this, which I did. And then I guess it snowballed to being <laughs> Z grade celebrity like status. <laughs> yeah, I was the villain. And then you got, you got kicked out of this season of MKR and my dad had to write a letter and then they let you back in the next season to finish it off. Well, I'm not a winner of any of those reality television shows, if that says something at all. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, the celebrity get me out of here. How was that? Oh, that was, was hell. Um, was, that, was that a struggle? It, like they actually make it a struggle for you guys? Yeah, that, it's awful. You, you have to sleep outside underneath the stars. Um, you have to eat all of those horrendous dishes that they give you. It's, it's actually hell. It's not just a secret, like at the end of the filming, everyone goes off and does their own thing. No way. I was, no I hotel was, rooms. Not nah, promise. I was constipated for a good three weeks. Okay. Well, that's, that's interesting. I will, I will know if they ever come knocking. <laughs> yeah, you will. Maybe one day if, if Dancing with the Stars ever gets that really <laughs> fabulous reboot, it has come back, but uh, whether it stays, would you go on it? Uh, probably not. Oh. I mean, you're a multi-talent. You're a triple threat, Ash. I'm just a, I'm a double threat. I can't dance. <laughs> George, you can do everything. I, I, I've, I've seen you. You can pick up any instrument. You're one of those freakishly talented people. You can pick up any instrument, play it, and 
suddenly be successful? Like, how did we? How did that even? I, I remember <laughs> just like looking at you, pitter pattering on the piano at uni, and you know that'd be your mess around time, and then now suddenly you're a world famous musician. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> did you? Well, of course, you can't think that. I mean, I wanted to be an actor. I was like, that was my goal. That was my dream. Like, I wanted to be in. I wanted to get into characters and like TV and movies and theater and all that stuff. It was in like second sort of side passion of mine, just to play. I loved Coldplay and Chris Martin. I remember going to see a concert, watching him captivate an entire stadium full of people with just him on a piano. I was like, man, that would, that would be so much, oh. that would be a awesome backup plan. <laughs> wow, that's a really excellent backup plan. That's hard. Yeah, in case in case acting doesn't work out, I'll uh, I'll keep music in my back pocket. You've had really so, um, supportive parents. Like your parents are ridiculously amazing individuals, Linda are, and Greg. Yeah. They took a punt on you and your sisters, uh, Amy and Emma, who essentially are the the other members of the band. But they they took a punt on you guys in the early days when you all showed a bit of talent and this is where you've ended up. Is your mum um, continuing to be your your tour manager essentially? Yeah, well, yeah, we've been incredibly lucky with the support that we've had. You know, a lot of a lot of kids would have said this to their parents. You know, we want to start a pop band, all three of us. <laughs> they would have gone, "Are you kidding me? You can you can you know get that law degree or you can go to medicine school? Like, there's no chance." that all three of our kids are going into this really unpredictable industry uh, in a job that has a less than 1% success rate. So we, but they, as soon as we told them, they were like, brilliant. My dad was like over the moon because he's such a big fan. He, he really loves country music. And he, he, in his head, he, he always wanted us to be like a country pop band. <laughs> uh, we, we decided to go down the more conventional pop route. It's been his dream as well, like along with my mom. Like it's been a whole family's like project for the last ten years. We were kind of lucky that in the early days, our dad decided to pay for the first batch of recording sessions. He's like, "All right, you've got some songs. I'm going to give you this studio time, um, and we'll see what you produce." And Amy and I went in there, and we kind of spent, I think it was like three weeks or something, doing like our first EP, and it was terrible. Like listening <laughs> back to it now, <laughs> it was so bad. But it was enough to get Michael Chug interested, which is our uh, current manager. We were lucky enough to get involved with him through an old music teacher from Papua New Guinea, where we grew up. Uh, it's crazy coincidences, but it's like, you know, we just knew the right person who used to know Michael Chug back in the day, uh, and he was able to convince Michael to give us it's like an audition. It's who you know, isn't it? There's a, there's a big part of who you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we definitely worked hard, and we, like, perfected the craft, and we did all of the right things behind the scenes, but... It's like that opportunity meets the hard work. That's that's luck. Definitely. Don't think that I'm not saying that you don't work hard now. I mean, let's talk about <laughs> acting school another time. But you guys put in an absolute bucket load of time and energy into producing, writing and collaborating on your music. I love it. Like I'm always excited to hear every single song that comes out because for whatever reason – it always resonates. I can always find a common ground with each song. Absolutely love it. So do you guys have crazy writers that you ask for when you are performing? Oh, I actually wouldn't believe it. I won't go on stage without my carrot sticks. Good. That's, um, that's a given. With, with some hummus dip. Mm -hmm. uh, if, that's not, if that's not there, I'm storming out. <laughs> Keep a straight face. Like you were doing crazy. so well. 
<laughs> I wish I had some crazy thing to put on there. Like we don't drink before a show, but we do have the, um, you know, the airplane scotch whiskey bottles, the little miniature ones. Yeah, you have a bit of and that. We're like all of, we'll all stand in a circle and we'll just like, like take a swig out of that each um, before we go on. And that's like our now come together moment. You know, the little hey, hey, yeah. <laughs> But uh, if that's not there, like sometimes that little bottle's not there. And I'm like, what the? We can't go on without that. Seriously. That's like our little traditional thing. So if you're not having any crazy riders, what are you eating when you're on tour? It's so hard, Ash. It's like the hardest part of it all. It's, you're having whatever's provided oh. pretty much. So you, you don't really have a choice. You might play some RSL out in casino, you know, and it's like, all right, well, we've got steak or chicken parmigiana. Cool, let's do that for the seventh night in a row. Oh, no. <laughs> I know, it's hard. It's probably one of the biggest challenges of touring is like getting your nutrition and your diet somewhat in term, in, like in the realm of reality. And how do you do that? It, it can be really hard. Because you guys work um, out. You guys work out so much. Like your sisters yeah. always Instagram story that they're working out constantly and that would be so hard then to go out on tour knowing full well that you've just spent so much time getting your body to, to peak condition and then you're just mm. trashing it with all this food. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, if the hotel's got a gym, that's great. You know, we'll always use that. But um, we'll, we'll try and do up a menu. So on our rider, we'll have like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And depending on what day of the week it is for the show, we've given the venue at least some indication of what meal we'd like to eat that day. Mm. So, we, you know, it might be grilled salmon with with some salad or chicken tacos. You know, we'll go give them an example of something we would eat. They either can be bothered to try and do it or they're just like, nah, mate, we don't have that here. <laughs> <laughs> what was your diet like growing up when you were a kid? Because you were raised in Papua New Guinea significantly mm. different to Australia. What was that like? You weren't born there, were you? No, I was three. I was born in Perth, and then when I was three years old, Dad got his his law job up in PNG. We moved. Amy was born there. Emma was born in Cairns, but we, we had moved back to Australia for like six months when I was around six years old when Emma was born. And then we promptly went back to PNG after six months because I don't think it was as opportunistic for Dad. Mm. <laughs> I don't think he was getting paid as much. <laughs> Fair enough. So back to PNG. And um, yeah, it was a it was a really kind of unique childhood. Like I think back to it, it was quite freeing in certain ways, but really restrictive in other ways. You know, we'd live in gated communities and behind barbed wire fences, um, with security guards with dogs, and you couldn't go outside and ride your bike around oh, like you really? can in Australia. Or, like there was that ever present sort of danger of rascals. And um, is that because of yeah, the was, position that your dad not a was safe in? Place. Um, yeah, that, that that and just I guess being an expat. You're, you're, you can be a target for these kind of violent attacks and, you know, thefts and murders that can happen on the street. So there was that element, but then there was also this, like, other element of being able to, you know, drive a jet ski without a license or run in the back of a ute and, like, there was other elements of it. Just go out to the islands for the day. The el- other elements that it was, like, really cool to be a kid growing up in PNG. Did you jump on board the, the staples of a PNG diet or did you stay very... Western kind of Australian vibes. Yeah, we we stayed mostly because it was mum cooking, and they have a grocery store and with a similar sort of product range as, as we would here. 
so for the most part we kind of ate like we would here but uh you know there's like moo moo <laughs> like they bury oh um, yes they bury like meat and like yam sweet potato underground and they like let it bake and cook for hours and hours mm. and then they take off the all of the leaves and the, and the dirt <laughs> and then there's just this like slow cooked it's like you know primitive version of slow cooking but is that delish yeah, the meat's like melt off the bone. Oh, it's pretty amazing. I feel like I've had something very similar when I visited New Mia, um, New Caledonia, and it was exactly the same, absolutely to die for and so unusual. Such a long process. Yeah, I know. But hey, you know, when there's nothing else to do up in the village, you're just like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> is your mum a good cook? <laughs> she is, but oh! she hates doing it. <laughs> Which is like not a good combination. It's like, Mum, we need we need like some of that delicious cooking that you do. She's like, I can't be positive. So it's like there, but she doesn't do it. It's just not her thing. It's not her thing. And I've actually seen her and your sisters cooking in the kitchen at home and it is just hysterical. Mm. Doesn't always work yeah. out well. Ingredients are forgotten about. Um, yeah, it doesn't often work out well. Yeah. <laughs> actually I give Emma, Emma's Emma's definitely got the, the chef's bug. She's got the, the talent, the gifts and the flavours. She's yeah. She knows what works well together and she's always in the kitchen. If out of the three of us, if there was one person to go on MKR it'd be Emma. <laughs> or maybe Master Chef. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a step up these days. Your your partner, Kathleen, <laughs> she's uh she's a physiotherapist. Um she is. Yeah, I wanna know if you had to cook a meal for Kathleen. Kathleen. Mm, as I often do. Do you? What would you cook for her? Because um, you're now an adult, fully-fledged adult, and mm. you've, you've moved past the two-minute noodle stage, so I'm looking forward to hearing fried, what this is. Mm. Well, I uh, recently purchased a slow cooker, and I cannot believe that I haven't heard of, like, I haven't noticed these things. They've always been around. I've always heard of them, but I thought they were much harder to use than they are. <laughs> It's the easiest way to be a gourmet chef. Totally. I, could, I couldn't believe it. And I was like, just chuck all these things in. I like did this casserole the other day. Actually, you, you, you saw it on my... I did. <laughs> you, this is like maybe about a year, and a, a year and a bit ago, but I made a story of my first like slow cook. And you're like, dude, you're stewing the meat. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh no, I've, I've screwed it up, but... It actually turned out quite well. So that, uh, like this really nice beef and veggie casserole. I think I think what you did was you added the meat in and the heat wasn't high enough. So instead of, you know, building up a kind of a bit of a brown crust on the on all the sides of the meat, it was just like stewing in its Grain. own juices and it was graying. <laughs> because it needed flour. They, they said that you put the meat in flour first. And then you put it in the fry pan. The oil and the flour sort of made this weird grey, nondescript <laughs> gravy. The flour is to thicken the sauce at the end of the cooking. Like the flour is added as like a binding ingredient. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll know for next time. I challenge you to make that again and, and do it right this time. Yeah, I will actually. I will. How's COVID been for music, the music industry? Has it ruined you guys or is it actually been a really great kind of time to create well yeah i'm sure you know the music industry as a whole is is decimated it's, it's just not there it's gone <laughs> it's like three billion 
dollars worth of gigs all just fell off a cliff. And you've got, you know, not not only musicians, but you know, the, all the crew, the roadies, the managers, the town techs, like everybody has just lost their jobs. And it's, there's not really anything in place to help them in this time. Like there's JobKeeper, but a lot of people don't qualify for that in the music industry. Mm. It's a real shame that there's not been any kind of stimulus package for um, musicians and artists and, you know, actors and all that, that stuff. Because the arts is such an important part of, of our identity as Australians. But um, doesn't seem to be very important to people in charge. But um, it's been quite uh, for us as Shepherd. It's been it's been quite a productive time. We've we've been able to kind of hunker down, and we've got a studio at home, so just stayed isolated. And uh, I've been kind of I'm here in my apartment with Kathleen and my cat <laughs> Napoleon. Hey Napoleon. Um, and then and then I've just been going over to the house, like two blocks away, um, just working on music every day with Jay and Amy. And we've been releasing a song every month, which has been awesome, artistically so fulfilling just getting to you know release something new every month it's been, it's been a dream without having the stresses of having to live tour at the same time it's been quite a relaxing but productive time for us but i'm looking forward to getting back to it you're listening to tuesday with ash pollard thanks to red energy 100 percent australian electricity and gas that's red energy you've recently released a song called thank you and was this dedicated mm-hmm. to your mumsy Linda? It was. It was a really nice thing that we were able to do for her. She's been so great this whole, like, last eight years. You know, you mentioned it before, but she, she comes on the tours with us and just anything she can do to help out, she's just, she wants to be as useful as she can. Like, she's checking into hotels, you know, making sure that the luggage gets checked in properly to the airports. And she's just a general awesome person to have around on a, on a tour and, like, so helpful that we wanted to say something, you know, to say thank you. We wanted to write her something. And she's your number one out. fan. She's always in the wings or at the very, very she front of the stage. show. Yeah, always at the And she's front. always like right there in the front, like singing every song. And she's just genuinely enjoying herself, which is lovely. It's just so nice to have that opportunity to be able to do something like that with your mum. Yeah, we wrote this song, Thank You, for, for her and for other mums, you know, for all the all the amazing effort that they put into raising children. So I want to thank you. There wasn't a lot of son mother songs. Like, there's a lot of father daughter songs, but in terms of like son to mum, I don't think that there's like a lot of guys, you know, would be worried about mummy's boy and all that stuff. <laughs> but it was like, it's needed, you know. Guys can tend to be a little bit unemotional about it, but it's nice to sort of sit down and go, all right, I'm just going to be vulnerable for a second. In tears, writing it like half oh, the time. That's what I was um, going to ask you. Did it make you cry as you, as you wrote the song? Yeah, it was really hard, actually. Oh. It's like you'd, you'd come up with a line and just be like, oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> this is, like, so hard to write. And then I was even worried about singing it. We premiered it live on um, Sunrise. And I was so worried that I was just going to, you because know, it was Mother's Day. Mom was there <gasps> watching it. I'm just there with the guitar, like, have to sing her this song. And I was like, I'm going to burst into tears. I can't, I'm not going to be able to do this. Luckily, we, we showed her the song beforehand. And we played it to her for her birthday. Um, so we got all the tears out of the way then and then managed to clear the air for the Sunrise performance. Did she have any idea that you'd created the song for her? No, we had to keep it secret for about eight months. Oh. So we wrote this song and we were writing it at home, you know, like finishing it off in the studio at home. And mum's like known to just kind of like open the door and be like, what are you guys working on? Like, can I hear anything new? <laughs> Get out! And so we'd have to like quickly like control all tab. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's the best kept secret ever. 
I love it. Yeah, and then we, we told her for her birthday. We, we revealed it to her in March. I think it's fabulous. You made me cry. And I thought, oh, <laughs> I, I hope my child, when it pops out, is as thoughtful or as, as talented at the very <laughs> least. Have a look at Uncle Scood. <laughs> you live in Brizzy, don't you? Yep. Where is the first yep. place that you're going to eat if you haven't gone already out of COVID? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, yeah, we've we've luckily been open for a while now. Like Bars and restaurants and yeah, cafes have been open for like two weeks, two and a half, three weeks. First thing I went and got was a classic, like big Aussie breakfast because we do that here better than anywhere else in the world. Just, you know, the avo on toast, you know, sausages, bacon, tolumi, everything like that you could possibly imagine. I had it on this plate because I haven't had like anything like that for three months. So that was what I went and did. That's so brilliant. It was the best breakfast I've ever had. Oh, how good's halloumi? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can be good. It can be horrible. Like when it's all dried and it's too rubbery. Oh, I don't like that. But when it's like you can still cut it and it, it feels I know. squishy and spoodly. You've got to have it straight <laughs> off the pan. You've got to have it straight away. Have you ever had it drizzled yeah. with a little bit of honey? Oof. Yeah. Was, um, Mrs. Shooks, one of my mum's friends, she always made it for us when we were growing up. Mrs. Who? Great. Mrs. Shooks. Oh, shout out to Mrs. Shooks then. Debbie Shooks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Mr. Halloumi. <laughs> Well, Scoodly Poodle, um, thanks for the uh, trip down memory lane. Congratulations on, like genuinely congratulations on all of your accolades thus far. I'm proud to be a friend. I love. Thank you, Ash. And likewise to you. Well, that was he, George Shepard. And frankly, I probably didn't mention it, but I should have. I had a massive crush on George during... uh, the time we were at acting school together, but that's for another day. If you want to follow Shepherd on Instagram, they are We Are Shepherd. And of course, any questions that you want to ask me, jump onto my Instagram, ashpollard underscore underscore. We have a question from Tanya on the Gold Coast. Tanya asks, What are your thoughts on the fermentation craze? Should I be making my own kombucha and kimchi? Or should I leave it to the experts? I tried this. I've got to say, I made kimchi and it just was wrong. It was all sorts of wrong. But I am always a firm believer in trying. Perhaps I screwed up kombucha. That looks like a poo in the bottom of a glass and I'm not interested in, I don't want to go there. Nah. I've maybe drunk it twice, but hey, you do you, Tanya. You do you. Thanks for listening to Tuesdays with me, Ash Pollard. And, of course, that's all thanks to Red Energy, my besties. Now is the time to switch to a 100% Australian electricity and gas retailer. Call 131 806. If you enjoyed Tuesday with Ash Pollard, then check out the other podcasts in the Red Energy Lifestyle series. For all things parenting, enjoy Mum Plus One with Joe Stanley. I have to admit, at the height of coronavirus lockdown, I gave up on all screen time restrictions. 100% Australian electricity and gas. That's Red Energy. Thanks for listening to Tuesday with Ash Pollard, part of the Red Energy Podcast Lifestyle Series. Available on your favourite podcast platform and the SEC. This podcast is supported by Red Energy. Powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, Red is 100% Australian-owned and local. Phone 131 806.